All right. Welcome. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We're glad that you have decided to join in with us this wonderful January 6th, 2022. I guess this is the first Biblos of the new year, if I'm not mistaken. So we're glad that you have decided to join in with us today. God's doing great things. I know he's doing them where you are. He certainly is here where we are, and we're thankful for that. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot that's happening, a lot that's taking place around the world. Crazy things happening politically. Um, Great things happening in the kingdom of God. Kings come, kings go. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord to turn whithersoever he will. God will God will keep it all under control. God's going to work it all out and work all things according to the counsel of his own will. So the key is to keep your eyes on the kingdom. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Men are going to do what they're going to do. Do the best you can in this world. Support as best you can and trust in God. God's got a plan. And it's been working for a long time. <clears throat> Believe it or not, things are better than they ever have been. There was a time when infant mortality was insane and people's life expectancy was 30 years of age, 40 years of age. You were a senior citizen at 50 years of age. There was a time in human history when there were child brides that were 13, 14 years of age and younger. Um, just, <laughs> we think we've got it bad now. We're actually a very civilized people. And I know we have our difficulties and there's immigration problems and there's political intrigue and all kind of crazy stuff that's happening. But don't listen to the doomsayers and the naysayers. God's kingdom is growing. It is going up. It is a great time to be serving God. So I'm going to say that, and I'm going to trumpet that because it is the truth. It's a good time to be alive, and I'm glad God chose me to be alive in this hour. He chose you to be alive in this hour. So thank God for it. We just had a lot of people affected by covid here in North Carolina. It swept through, and I know it's all over the nation. One day we're going to look back at all of this stuff, and it's going to be a historical footnote. And I long for that day, look forward to that day. But in the meantime, there's a lot of Bible studies to teach. There's a lot of church to be had. There's a lot of instilling of principle, heavenly principle in people's hearts. So we're just praying for God's will to be done where you guys are. Thank you for joining with us. We've had some good questions. We always enjoy when you submit your questions. You send them in on Twitter. You send them in uh, through Biblos. You send them in to me personally on Instagram. Uh, Some people email me at naershon at gmail.com. You can reach me there. And people ask Bible questions. We, We like to help people fall in love with the Word of God, to fall in love with the Scripture. Uh, we could talk about it all day, all day, every day. I love people who love the word of God. They they feel after God. They are, they celebrate the word of God. That's, that's a big thing. Um, I need to talk about the original joy sometime, what I believe the original joy is. And then the reason why we rejoice because we rejoice because there's an original joy, But it all has to do with the Word of God, and that's the inspiration for Biblos. So if we can get people reading their Bibles, falling in love with their Bibles, with the Word of God, with the original doctrine of the apostles and that of the patriarchs, then God's will is going to be accomplished where you are. I had a question come in from a young man named Joshua. He asked a question, and it It harkens back to a session we did. Uh, It's probably been almost a year, if not a year, on Gematria. And I probably won't use that word because it's not a Bible word. But, But his question was this. Why did God bring seven pairs of clean animals on the ark? Why did God do that? Groups of seven. And then unclean animals in groups of two. So the pigs come in in twos and the doves come in in sevens. Why? And it is a great, great question. 
And I think I'm going to take a little time and talk about it because this is one of the fascinating things about the Bible. It is not written in a language that Western society to a large degree is familiar with. God used different devices, and he used the Hebrew language. He could have used any language, but he used the Hebrew and the Greek language as the foundation, the Aramaic language as the foundation from which he would reveal his word to the world. And from there, we've translated it, and people have tried to, to understand it through their English paradigm or their Spanish paradigm, their way of looking at it. I've always thought that it was kind of interesting how people who read the Bible in Spanish versus people who read the Bible in English, how it says it in each language, because there'll be different nuance and subtlety in each each language. But we're pulling in the New Testament largely from Greek, and in the Old Testament we're pulling from Hebrew. And there's this concept in Hebrew that I want to share with you. I, I, I did a session where I touched on sevens and twelves. That's kind of the root idea from which the springs, but I want to give you a little glimpse into how the Old Testament world thought and <clears throat> answer some questions, <clears throat> excuse me, that maybe maybe some of you have. Like, like, why does Jesus say, when Peter comes and says, Lord, if somebody, if somebody sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven times in a day. So 490 times. And so our our English minds, we we hyper-literalize that. And we say to ourselves, okay, I'm going to keep track. I'm going to keep track. This guy keeps on doing this crazy thing he's doing. And then he says he's sorry. He keeps saying he's sorry. And I'm so, and I have to forgive him. Jesus says I have to forgive him. So 488, 489, for all of you mathematicians out there, 490. Okay, bub. Now that was your allotted grace for the day. I still got about three hours in the day. You come back one more time. It's going to be on. 491, pow, right in the nose. And God's going to, he's going to forgive you for that because you follow the word. (laughs) Well, God's not trying to create mathematicians and people that are excellent at counting offenses. There's these funny sounding little phrases. For instance, Daniel's 70 weeks. And if you read those 70 weeks, there's a prophetic concept in the Bible where God said, I'm going to give you a day for a year and that day will be unto you for a year. So all of the years that it's actually talking about, he's speaking of it in terms of days. So when he says it's 70 weeks, that's 70 times seven, which is 490 days, which winds up being 490 years. And if you've ever studied Daniel's 70 weeks, then you know that it is a prophecy about 490 years that will be given to Jacob, to Israel, the people of the Old Testament, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and for atonement. <clears throat> so here's this idea of 490 that's, that springs from this idea of seven. So let's take a little while and talk about it because... People say that seven is God's perfect number. They say, they see it over and over and over again. It's repeated in the Bible. And it finally, if if you ever just do a count of how many times there's sevens or derivatives of sevens, like seventies or uh, things of that nature, it's just stunning how many there are. Um, Just a few that come to mind. um, The servant of the prophet goes up to see seven times after Ahab and Jezebel and the false prophets of Baal have been dealt with on Mount Carmel. And then on the seventh time, he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. Um, That There were many days of cleansing in the Old Testament 
where there would be seven days and then this would happen. Where does it all come from? Why seven clean animals? So it's a good question, Joshua. We're going to take a little glimpse into ancient thought. And there's some startling things that begin to emerge from that. I'm going to take my time here tonight. I really want to flesh out the topic because I get this question a lot. Um, and people are just reading through the Bible and they just keep running into these recurring themes over and over and over again. So this eventually gets to the place where it even affects what it means to be Pentecostal. Everything in the Bible is headed to the culmination of God's plan of redemption, which is Pentecost. It's Acts 2.38 and John 3.5. So you read, you read everything in the Scripture in the light of that full revelation. In the Old Testament, they didn't have full revelation. But in the New Testament, he has revealed these things through the light of Jesus Christ, the light of full truth. And now we are doing our best to pull out these principles so why seven groups of clean animals? Let's, uh, let's look at a couple places in the Bible where it describes <clears throat> these sevens. In Genesis 4.15, when God curses Cain, this is what he says. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Here's this idea of sevens that begins to emerge. The first one that we see emerge is uh, the seven days of creation. God creates the world in six days. On the seventh day, God rested. Now that idea of God resting is a big deal. I mean, does God need rest? Does God need sleep? Does, does Do his muscles get tired? Does God have muscles? Are they spiritual muscles? And if they are, what are those? Well, God doesn't need rest in that sense. He, the Bible says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. This is anthropomorphic language, and God is setting in motion a principle for you and for me. Eventually, that principle would be that his redemption plan, God's work of grace, would be such that we would rest in him. We would cease from our labors. God would do the work, and it would be good. And so... Our salvation wouldn't come by our own works of righteousness, but it would come by a work of grace and faith in him and our obedience to his word. So God creates the world in these seven days and it sets in motion this idea, this, I, this picture, this template, if you will, of sevens. Now, this, to some people, this sounds like just a bunch of numbers that are floating around. I take care to try to articulate this because you need to know where this comes from. Once you get this number one principle, what the number seven means, there's a world of information that opens up to you. So before you dismiss it and say, oh, that's, there it goes, Brother Urshan talking about seven again. Before you do that, you need to know that the number seven is the same word in Hebrew as oath. It's the same word. The, the number seven in the Hebrew number system is the same word as the word oath or covenant. That word is Sheba. And it has this idea of completeness or wholeness or a work being finished, a finished work. You can read that. Look it up in Strong's, the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Whenever you see the Lord swore, it, the Lord Sheba, that is that word, swear, swore, oath. He made an oath. The Lord sevened himself is what the, rabbi, the rabbis described it as. When you enter into a, an oath or a covenant, they call it sevening yourself. You have sevened yourself. When God created the world in seven days, when he caused the sun to shine, he swore that it would shine. It would rule the day. And God made a covenant with all of creation, with you, with me, that the sun would shine. 
God's word, his oath, is so powerful that you and I take it for granted. Did you think about it this morning? Were you worried? Or did you did you wake up before the sun came up and realize, oh man, I can get a couple more hours of sleep. Let me, let me go back to sleep because the sun's going to be up in just a little bit. Well, you could say that because the oath giver, the covenant maker, set it in motion millennia ago that that the sun would shine. It would rule the day. The moon would rule the night, the moon and the stars. And God, God swore it. God said. God sevened himself. He did it in seven days. And in essence, what he did was he created the world and he made an oath that it would be good. And so he made a covenant with you and with me. So that is what it means to, to Sheba, to seven. It's not just an arbitrary number like you would have it in English. It is, it is an actual verb. It's something you do. It is a covenant. It is an oath. It is um, a finished work. So there's this idea of completion, wholeness, and finishedness. So whenever you see that word seven, it means that it's a completed work or it's a whole work or it's an entire work. And it has to do with an oath. It will come to pass. There is a fullness of a thing. Um, so if you find Cain and you slay Cain, God will take vengeance sevenfold. The Bible says of God's word that it's, it's um, like gold tried in a fire, purified seven times. Why not six times? Why not eight times? Why seven times? Because it is a completed work. It is a whole work. The, the world of Scripture labored under severe attack for, for many, many, many years as, as people became more skeptical and more agnostic and atheist, atheistic in their mindset. They said that, you know, men wrote this. This is a, a Bronze Age document. It's, it's filled with interpolations. It's filled with additions. You can't trust this. The earliest known manuscript was from the Middle Dark Ages, 1000 AD. You, this is silly. It's just a myth. It's a legend. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic text that was on them, and they, they realized that there was no difference from, from fragments of parchment that were a thousand years older, that in a thousand years there was no difference. That is four times older than the United States of America. Um, <laughs> they found there was no difference from the early A.D., late B.C. era to the Dark Age, Middle Dark Ages, thousand A.D. fragments that they had, scrolls that they had. They had to eat their words. They had to eat crow. Because they'd been saying that it wasn't true, and the Dead Sea Scrolls served as a great validation of the Word of God. And God said, it is, it is like gold purified seven times. It will last. It will endure. I am making an oath to you that you can stand on this Word. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My Word shall not pass away. So why do we forgive 70 times 7 then? Why does Noah take seven clean animals, two of unclean? Well, out of the gate, from what I know at this time and what we can tell, if you have more information, I'm happy to hear about it, he brings the pears on for reproduction. The unclean animals were not to be eaten. They were not to be sacrificed, but they do serve a purpose. Um, they do serve a purpose. Thank God for the unclean animals. These are the garbage men. And garbage women, we want to be equal opportunity. <laughs> uh, they are the waste disposal system of the world. So we need crows and ravens and buzzards and pigs and shrimp and lobster and roaches and flies and larvae and maggots. We need all that stuff so that God can pick the bones clean, put it back into the biodiversity um, of this world. So. So Noah brings on two of each kind of these animals, but he brings on seven. 
And it is a, it's kind of a scriptural nod. It's kind of a wink that God is doing a, a pure work, a clean work, a whole work, a spiritual work. I'll even say this. It has the idea of oath, completeness, wholeness, but it also ultimately goes to a spiritual work. God rested on the seventh day, and God was a, and is a spirit. The way that manifested in the Old Testament, you know, we observe the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. The Jews observed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, and they rested from their labors. And that was the Sabbath day. You remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And there is great merit to that. Now, it is not salvific, according to the New Testament. In Colossians 2, it's not salvific. It's not for salvation, but there is great merit in the idea of taking time to rest your body, rest your spirit, spend time with family, recharge. Um, Great merit in that. You need to observe that. You don't need to burn the candle at both ends and hurt yourself. But The Bible says very explicitly in the New Testament that there remaineth a rest for the people of God. If Joshua had given them rest, then there would not have been another rest that he talked about. There is another rest, and it is the rest for your soul that Jesus talked about. There is a spiritual rest. God is a spirit. And as such, there is a spiritual rest. That spiritual rest is the Holy Ghost. It's another lesson for another day, but the point I'm making is the Sabbath day was built on that principle. Seven days of creation done by the Spirit of God. There are seven seven days, and it is the Sabbath day, where man will rest and, and mirror God. And then all of that is taken, and the foundation of all of this comes from heaven. Everything that we do on earth is originally found in heaven. The blueprint, the logos is found in heaven. And so we see in Revelation the seven spirits of God that are before his throne. And so those seven spirits, you'll find them in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, you'll find the seven spirits. This is what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Seven attributes. First of all, the spirit of the Lord itself, and then wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Seven administrations, seven facets, seven spirits of God that are before his throne. This is why there are seven branches on the golden candlestick. There's a main trunk. That's the spirit of the Lord. That's the main, it's, it's, it's a larger branch than the other three branches. There is a one candlestick that comes down to the base of the candelabra. Then there are these three arms that come off either side that are tributary to the main trunk. Mm, I could preach on that. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's the main trunk. From there, you'll get gifts of the Spirit that come off of that. But you can't have the gifts of the Spirit without getting the Spirit. (laughs) So the gift of tongues is not just one administration, but the gift of the Holy Ghost is the main thing. And you'll speak with tongues when God fills you with the Spirit. As a matter of fact, here's a little something that some people don't know. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the initial evidence. You'll find this in John chapter 3. Forgive me for this little tangent, but I'll tie it in to Sheba here in a second. Um, When you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll speak with other tongues. And we see this in John chapter 3. Except a man is born of the water, God says, verily, verily. I'll come back to that in a second. Verily, verily is the repetition. It is the doubling of the the command. Jesus is saying, pay attention. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot, and of Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. I've talked about this. Thou hearest the sound thereof. Whenever you hear that, thou hearest the sound thereof, you should think Acts 2, where Peter says, God has shed forth this spirit which you both see and hear. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof. So is every one, every one that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit, you will hear it. You will hear it. So the wind, the pneuma, bloweth where it listeth. You hear the phonos, the sound thereof. Um, that's John 3. Now, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah... Chapter 45 and verse 23, every tongue shall swear. That's what it says. Let's go there. Isaiah chapter 45. And let's look very quickly at verse 23. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Every tongue shall Sheba. Every tongue. <laughs> this, this picture of God, the word has gone out of my mouth. When you receive the Holy Ghost, um, thou hearest the sound thereof. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Every person will confess. They will swear. They will Sheba. They will seven themselves. They will, they will enter into covenant with God. So whenever you read that verse in the New Testament, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, that doesn't just mean, God, I confess you. That means that you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. You're going to speak with other tongues. You're going to enter into covenant with God. Every tongue that enters into the kingdom of God, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that way. The Spirit of God will come into your heart and you will cry, Abba, Father. It all comes back to the oath and a work of the Spirit. When that happens, that sevenfold administration comes down inside of you. That wisdom, that understanding, the Spirit of the Lord. So there's a lot to unpack with that. You can do with that what you will. I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments online. I'm sure that the Reformed theologians are going to love that. <laughs> but you guys that criticize and have a lot to say about that, you need to go through the book of Acts and get the Holy Ghost like every single person on the day of Pentecost got the Holy Ghost. And stop inventing another kind of Holy Ghost. It doesn't exist. There's one spirit, and we're baptized into one body by that one spirit. And you need to get the Holy Ghost like the apostles got the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so the, here's these seven spirits of God. That's the foundation that these sevens are coming from. That's where I'm getting to with this. I'm answering the young man. That's what session today's session is going to be about. Wholeness, completeness, a work of the Spirit, a finished work, entering into an oath with God. All of that, those are the thematic elements surrounding this idea of seven, Sheba, sevening oneself. That is also why when you get to the New Testament, you see the Lamb of God who has seven eyes and seven horns. I think I told you the story of me as a child did I tell, tell that story? I did. I'm getting old, aren't I? I'm, I'm repeating those old stories. <laughs> I was a little kid, and my parents had the Bible on tape, and I would listen to it, and I loved it. I loved the miracle of the loaves and fish. had little soft little background music, and, and Jesus went down to Galilee, and I, it was wonderful. I got through the epistles. I got through the book of Acts. Acts two. I was I, I was probably five, six years old, seven maybe. We we slept on bunk beds. Um, I would sleep on the top. Joel would sleep on the bottom. My sister would sleep in the other room. And before Joel was born, I'd get scared. I'd go get in bed with my sister, and I would sleep there because that was I think I was like three. And she'd get mad at me, and she'd beat me up because I'd make too much noise. <laughs> she was bigger and tougher than I was back then. And and I'd be up on that top bunk, and I would listen to the Bible. And finally, we got to Revelation. And I remember my parents had friends over, 
preacher friends. They were downstairs, and it was after service one night. I was tired. I always did like to go to bed early. I am an early-to-bed, early-to-rise kind of guy, and always have been. And I don't know, about midnight, we got into Revelation, and this ominous Revelation demon music came on. It was this echoey voice and this you know, heavy pipe organ sound and this ominous echoey sounding voice. And I got, we got to this place with the seven eyes and the seven horns and with horror, I began to picture that. Now I had in the corner a, a, a coat rack that had several arms on it and it was, I had a little nightlight on and that light hit that coat rack and I saw horns and that was it. The beast of Revelation had come up out of the sea and was in my room. <laughs> Apparently it came from underneath my bed. <laughs> and horror stricken, I jumped out of that bed. I ran downstairs wailing and crying. And I never did want to hear the Bible on tape after that until I got a little older. Scarred my little heart. I, my little tender heart was just scarred. Anyway. For everybody that has tried to make a foray into Revelation and have come away shaking your head, this concept is a key to helping unlock that. <clears throat> the symbolism, the metaphorism that is there. Um, the lamb has seven eyes and he has seven horns. What does that mean? Well, it means complete sight or omniscience. And complete power. That's what the horns are. They are power. They are authority. Complete, total, spiritual authority. What it means is Jesus was that lamb who had complete sight and complete authority. What a balance. Here he is, seven eyes, seven horns. He's on the, he's on the throne. It means he sees it all. He has all power in heaven and earth. And, and the right balance of it. We've just come out of several high-profile legal cases where judges had to make decisions and lawyers presented cases, and one side was very vocal and the other side was very vocal. Um, what was the guy that? What was the name of the, the teenager that shot up? Kyle Rittenhouse. We've just come out of the Rittenhouse verdict. One side side said he's a hero. He's a hero. We need to put him on Mount Rushmore. The other side says now he's a demon. He's he's a, a, a right wing. Zealot, he's a militant. We need to lock him away for the rest of his life. Who's right? Well, we don't have all sight, and we don't have all power. We have unequal power. We have unequal sight. Um, the Maxwell lady uh, just had her trial. And did Epstein kill himself? Hmm. This is a great question for the scholars. Who knows? One knows. Well, probably more than one. <laughs> more than one knows. This depends on where you're at in the government, how much money you have. But God knows. And the lamb that has seven eyes and seven horns is an equal distribution of wisdom and authority, sight and power. This is why when when Jesus finds the woman, they caught her in the very act. Here are men with two eyes. And they say to Jesus, Master, we caught her in the very act. Moses says to kill her, to stone her. What do you say? And men with bias, men with agendas, I've always wondered, if you caught her in the act, where's the guy? Where's the guy? Where's he at? Where's this zeal for justice at? You caught her. Bravo, bravo. But where's the old boy at? Was he one of your buddies? Did you let him go? Did he bribe you? What happened? Why isn't he being killed? The scripture teaches that too, doesn't it? And if we're going to be equal in power and authority and wisdom and sight, where's the balance? And Men don't have that balance. As a matter of fact, 
the, the black lives matter and, and the white lives matter and the all lives matter and the blue lives matter. All that stuff is because people are upset because they feel like there's an unequal balance of power and, and justice and sight and vision and who's right and who's wrong. There is a judge that has perfect balance. And he looked at that woman that day. He wrote something in the dirt. He told the accusers, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. And beginning at the oldest to the youngest, they, they began to walk away. And finally he asked her, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way. Sin no more. He saw. What, I have often wondered, what did he see? Did he see a father that abandoned a little girl? Did he see an abusive former spouse who was cunning enough to be unfaithful but didn't get caught? She wasn't so cunning, and she did. Oh, the human condition and, and the lamb that looks upon us with that perfect wisdom and that perfect power and the perfect balance of the two. They say of spiders, and I think it's flies, that they can see on multiple spectrums. I believe spiders, they can, they can actually see on infrared. They can see sub-colors, colors we can't see. By the way, there's seven colors in the rainbow. Ha! That's a spectrum that you and I can see. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, Indigo and violet, Roy G. Biv. And you can see those spectrums. Well, I think spiders can see more than that. But I find it amazing that God gives Noah a sevenfold promise that when the sunlight, and I've preached a message on that, unlocking the light, God shows you the light, but oh, but what happens when that light shines through the prism and he unlocks the glory that's inside that light? I believe that when he was unlocking those colors, he was showing him Isaiah 11 and 1. This is the spirit of the Lord. This is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. This is the spirit of counsel and the fear of the Lord and might and, and of, of, of quick understanding. This is, what it, this is the seven candlesticks, but I'm going to put them in a prismatic display for you to see. And this is what happens when you unlock the light. I think we need to unlock the scriptures. We need to unlock the light. His word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. And hopefully I can shine through a prism and pull some of these colors out for you here today. Mm -mm, I feel my preach coming on. Joseph had that prismatic color on his garment on the outside. And he was an Old Testament deliverer. I believe Jesus had that same color on the inside. And it was sevenfold, and it was in him was light. It was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Joseph had that coat of many colors outwardly. I think Jesus had it inwardly. And anyway, there's seven colors there. I also find it amazing, the number six, without going too deep into the weeds, is the number of man it's the root of 666, the number of a man, which, which also has its roots in this Hebrew number system. Um, I find it interesting that the LGBTQ rainbow has six colors in it, not seven. It's not a work of the Spirit. It's a work of men. It's carnal. It's, it's a sign of wickedness, not liberty. God had that original rainbow with seven colors. It was a work of the Spirit that were patterned after God's seven spirits. Just my two cents. So I'm answering the question why Noah brought seven of each clean animal. We see the concept of seven further extrapolated when, when there's a conflict between Abraham and Abimelech. <clears throat> Abimelech was a bad guy. Abimelech wanted to steal Sarah. That's the guy that wanted to take her. Uh, later, uh, I believe it was later, Pharaoh wanted to as well. But, but initially, Abimelech wanted to. And, and that's when Abraham concocted the story, tell him you're my sister. 
because technically she was a relation to him, because they might kill me. You know, later on when Isaac comes along with Rebecca, Abimelech tried to take her too. <laughs> Abimelech, man, he was messing around. This guy, this guy was a mess. Um, you know, that Old Testament eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth world, just clonk him over the head and take the pretty girl. Um, well, Abraham and Isaac didn't want to be the guys that got killed. And so in their, in their fear, they tried to find a, a natural solution to dealing with this warlord. He was a warlord, a powerful person. They, they were not yet to the point of full maturation. <clears throat> they're the final product. So they're still up and coming. They're young, and they're afraid of him. Well, God deals with him on behalf of both men. If you do this, I will kill you. You've taken, you have taken the wife of, a, of my servant, of, of a man of God. Give her back. Abimelech did not abuse Sarah or Rebecca and gives them back and they make this covenant. They are, they are at odds. They are at war. Abraham is up and coming. He's growing in power. Abimelech was the established power and they made a truce. They made a covenant. And to commemorate that, the Bible says that Abraham, I think it was Abram at the time, brought seven ewe lambs. Now see, that the same question, why does Noah choose seven of clean? Why does Abraham bring seven ewe lambs? He was sevening himself. He was entering into a covenant, an oath with Abimelech. And so when he did, he did it. He brought it to a well, a well that Abraham had dug. And, and it was a well that they made that pact, that covenant, that treaty together, that we are going to have peace between the two of us. We're not going to be at war any longer. You're going to leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Stop trying to take my wife, Abimelech. And he entered into a covenant with him there. And he called the well Bear Sheba, or the well of the oath, the well of sevens. I've been to that well. I, I, we, when we were in Jerusalem one day, we had a free day, and uh, Dr. Johnny King, who was with us, looked at our, our little group that was there and says, hey, we got, we got several hours here. You guys, you guys want to run to, from Dan to Beersheba? And everybody said, yeah, yeah, we want to do this. I think it was like a six-hour drive, if I remember right, or maybe three hours one way, three hours back. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, it was a healthy drive. So we drive all the way from Dan to Beersheba. And when we got to the well, there it is. I mean, it was, it's, a, it's a national landmark there in Israel. We go and I look down into it and I thought to myself, this is it. This is the well where Abimelech and Abram stood and made the covenant of sevens. Just like God sevened himself in Genesis, Abraham sevens himself with Abimelech. There will be peace between us now. It is a finished work. It's done. The conflict is over. Now we are bound by the words of this treaty and it was called Beersheba. That's where that word comes from, to swear, to make an oath, to make a seven. And there's a host of verses that I could bring in here. Isaiah 30, 26, moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. That's a, it's, a, it's a reference to New Testament revelation <clears throat> that's going to shine forth sevenfold. Well, does that mean that it's going to grow seven times the intensity? Well, if that was a physical description, we would all die. That's, <laughs> we would burn to death if the sun grew sevenfold. The earth couldn't take that. It's, it's a metaphoric description of the day of the New Testament that you're living in and I'm living in. What a day of illumination. Stop moaning over what Biden does and what Trump does and I'm white and you're black and I'm Hispanic and I'm Asian and we're all going to fight. Forget that stuff. It's shining. The light is shining and, and the day is dawning and it's time to win souls. That's the sevenfold shining of the New Testament. That's the woman who's clothed with the 12 stars and, and she's clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. She stands on the Old Testament. She is clothed with New Testament revelation. The metaphoric intensity is startling. Now, this also is why Naaman dips seven times. 
in the Jordan River. It was covenantal. He was, he was mirroring and referencing the seven spirits of God. Um, this is why Balaam made seven altars. It's why he sacrificed, sacrificed seven bullocks on the seven altars. So this, the answer to the question, why seven clean animals, has its roots that God, those animals represented a work of the Spirit, a clean diet worthy of sacrifice. Um, God was saying these are good to eat. These are good to sacrifice. This is a spiritual principle that I'm establishing. Now, there's practical things. You can eat more of them. <laughs> you can produce more of them. They can uh, be used for food. They can be used to propagate the species. But the root of it is in the covenant, the oath, and the work of the Spirit, a completed work. And the fact that they are clean references that. Um, so <clears throat> why then does Jesus say 70 times 7? 490 times. Is it, is it just a mathematical thing that you're bound to? No, that's not what it is. The Bible teaches us that God gives to man. This is the answer to the 70 times 7. God gives to man 70 years. If you, if you read the Bible, 40 years is a generation. That's why the children of Israel wandered for 40 years. God was going to destroy that generation, which is the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. Um, it's a mirror of that in the New Testament. This is why it rains 40 days and 40 nights <clears throat> in Noah's day. The, the number 40 is over and over and over. Uh, Moses fasts for 40 days at Sinai. It, it all references a generation. Seventy is a lifetime. So a man, a woman, have 40 years of procreative potential and, and true um, creative potential. They're going to earn money. They're going to create families. It's going to be roughly about 40 years, from 20 to 60, from 30 to 70. Somewhere in there, those are your prime years. Those are the years you're producing. It's a generation. You are generating but your life, God would limit it to 70. And, and, one, and then he said, and if by reason of strength you continue on into 80, then you're blessed. God has been good to you. But 70 years is an example of, of, of a life. So 70 times 7 doesn't mean after 499, 490 times you can beat up your enemy. 70 times 7 means that you will live a life of forgiveness. It is a lifetime of completeness, oath-keeping, covenant power, a life spent in the presence of God. I'll just say that there is no life like living for God. I've had people laugh at me and tell me that living right is boring and <clears throat> have all these rules and restrictions to follow, and they don't. They don't look at the scripture like I look at the scripture. I think that when you're bound by addiction, you're bound by lust, and you can't stop sinning, and you can't put down your cigarettes, you can't put down your marijuana, you can't stop drinking your alcohol, you're bound by what other people think of you, you're bound to paint your face and to put gold on your body, you're bound by society's expectations, you're bound by sin. That is limiting. That is bondage. Just because I follow principles in the Bible and I choose not to do them doesn't mean I'm bound. I live a blessed life. I love my wife. I love my children. I don't need to paint or ornament myself with the trinkets of this world. I don't need the addictive substances of this world. God has been good. And I pray that I can live a life of forgiveness, a life of oath-keeping, a life of covenant-keeping, a life of completedness. 70 times 7. That is what it means to forgive. 70 times 7. It, it means a lifetime of covenant forgiveness and oath-keeping. All right. Now, <clears throat> before I close this session, I need to get to 
how this affects Pentecost. How does this affect us today? Why does it matter? And you might be startled by what you find. I'm going to need a drink of my bi-antioxidant juice for this. <laughs> Getting a little parched. Okay. <clears throat> this affects us today. Not only does it affect us in terms of a work of the Spirit, and we are covenant keepers by the grace of God. But the foundation of Pentecost is built on these sevens. God said of Pentecost that, that it would be seven Sabbaths. There would be seven Sabbaths. And after that seven Sabbaths, there would be a 50th day. Seven Sabbaths is 49 days. And then you'd have the Feast of Pentecost. So from the day of the Passover, which is when they came out of Egypt, most scholars believe that that was seven Sabbaths until Sinai, where the law was given. Jesus is crucified. That's the Passover. He's in the ground three days. He appeared unto them 40 days which gets us to 43. And then they were tarrying at the upper room for seven days, which brings them right up to that 4950. That's why the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were fulfilling the seven sevens. They were fulfilling the seven Sabbaths from Jesus' crucifixion and death to the day of Pentecost. They, that was the sacrificial lamb all the way to the day of Pentecost. It's the Old Testament feast systems. <clears throat> That's where we get the festival, the feastival. And so these Old Testament festivals find their culmination in Jesus Christ. And that is why we don't have to observe a physical uh, Sabbath day, which some feel that that Sheba and Saba come from the same root. Colossians 2.16, don't let anybody, let no man judge you and meet a drink on respective and holy day, new moons, or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body or the reality is found in Christ. So we don't just celebrate Saturday. We celebrate Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and all day Saturday in rest in the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not discounting a day of rest. We do need a day of rest, and I think we need to put more emphasis in this harried, crazy um, busy world, this stressful world. But that rest that we're talking about right now, built on sevens, is found in the Holy Ghost. So seven sevens, this work after Calvary has happened, and on that 50th day is the day of Pentecost. Now, in the Old Testament, it was Shavat. It was a time of harvest. It was the 50th day of Pentecost where they celebrated. There's a lot of theology in that. Um, this also ties into the Jubilee. There would be a Sabbath of years in the Old Testament. So there would be, <clears throat> you know, the Bible describes how they would work the land for six years, and on the seventh day they'd let it rest. And God would allow the earth to bring forth double during that time. And then they would live off of that for that year. So the land could have a Sabbath. It could rest so it wouldn't be exhausted. The nutrients wouldn't be exhausted. They wouldn't harvest it. They wouldn't reap it that year. And they would do that for 49 years. On the 49th year, it would lead them to the Jubilee year. And during the Jubilee year, which was the 50th year, <clears throat> then they would, all the slaves would would go free. The the Those that had indebted themselves and were bondmen and couldn't pay a debt would go free. And they would, the, their, if they had mortgaged their land and given their land to pay a debt, the land would revert back to the original family that had it, that no family would be lost in Israel. So Jubilee and Pentecost are powerful metaphors for what happens when God fills you with the Holy Ghost and you have your own Pentecost, you have your own Jubilee, and it's built on seven sevens. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You get the inheritance that you lost in Adam. You get the power that you lost in Adam. You get the, the, the restoration of what was taken away from you in your own Jubilee, your own Pentecost. The real estate that you lost, you get it back when you get the Holy Ghost. The dominion that you lost, you get it back when you get the Holy Ghost. The blessing that you lost, the power that you lost, the spiritual connection that you lost, you get it back at Pentecost. Woo! Feel like running the aisles. Talking in tongues. Every tongue shall Sheba. Every tongue shall swear, shall confess. So it's built on sevens. Now, this is such a picture. Um, This is why they marched around Jericho's walls seven days. And why on the seventh day they marched around seven times on the seventh day. And at the seventh time they blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls came down. That's Pentecost, ladies and gentlemen. That is a picture of Pentecost. Two sets of sevens. This is where the seven clean animals spring from. This is where the seven ewe lambs spring from. This is what the seven horns, seven eyes, the seven spirits of God and Isaiah 11.1, 1, the seven days of creation and the seven spirits of God that are before the throne. Naaman dipping seven times. The boy at Elisha sneezing seven times. What an arbitrary number, but here he, he rises from the dead because it was a work of the spirit. It was a work of wholeness and completeness and newness. And only God could do it. The seven golden candlesticks and all of this work of the spirit covenantal language is brought into its fullness in Pentecost. A work of the Spirit, a work of oath-keeping. So Joshua marches around seven times. On the seventh day, they shout. That brings us to the 50. The walls come down. That means the land belongs to us, and we're taking it over. God's given us power and dominion. And I know that you could probably find many, many more examples of this. Um, One, two, two that I really want to show you. And I, these last few examples, I want to take my time with this. And I know this is kind of a long session, but some of you have been asking me to go longer. So I think I went 30 minutes the last session. So we'll just do a nice long two-hour session. <laughs> just put it on and get on the treadmill, and hopefully it can be a blessing. Two examples I want to leave you with. The first one is we see the seven sevens in Joshua, which is a metaphor of Pentecost, dominion, walls come down, old life comes down, Canaan falls, God begins to establish Jerusalem. He's going to do it through Pentecost. That's how the New Testament kingdom is going to be built. It's going to be built through Pentecost. Seven sevens. It even is seen further. I want to talk about the doubling. This principle is given Um, we see it doubled. We see it doubled in Pentecost. We see it doubled in Jubilee. Where we find this is in Genesis 41 and 32. Now, first of all, the doubling is a biblical principle. Verily, verily. I told you I'd get back to that. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Um, And, you know, you'll hear God call Abraham, Abraham. You'll hear him call um, Samuel, Samuel. Isaac, Isaac. You'll hear it over and over. Um, Saul, Saul, verily, verily, this, this, that is the ancient way of highlighting, of emphasizing God is shouting to get your attention, but God doubles the sevens to emphasize them. He is, he is hitting a grand slam. He is, he is emphasizing it as broadly and as powerfully as he can. And we can see this in Genesis 41, 32. The Bible says that Pharaoh had a dream. And in that dream, he dreams of seven healthy cows. In King James, it was the kine. It was a milk cow. <clears throat> and out of the Nile came seven withered cows. That devoured them. Then he had a second dream. And seven healthy 
stalks of corn. And then seven blasted withered ears of corn rose up and consumed the healthy ears of corn. It troubled Pharaoh so much, he couldn't find the interpretation. Joseph, who understands dreams, he had already understood the concept of doubling. The butler and the baker, the dreams were doubled. Three vines, three baskets of bread. He understood the concept of doubling. Um, he had already seen the, the, the seven sheaves of wheat, or the, I'm sorry, the 12 sheaves of wheat, and the sun, moon, and stars, and the 12 stars. Joseph understood doubling and emphasis. And here's what he said in Genesis 41, 32. <clears throat> and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will, short, God will shortly bring it to pass. This is going to be brought to pass. It will shortly be done. It will surely be done. It is established. Not only is it covenantal, not only is it a work of the Spirit, but it is established. So seven sevens means it is established. It's going to happen. You mark it down. You, you bet the farm on it. You give your life to it. For all of you that are wondering, is Pentecost real? Should I get involved with this? Should I waffle? Should I vacillate? I don't know. I, do I really believe this? Jump in. The thing is sure. It is established, and it will surely, and he said shortly, he will bring it to pass. So the doubling of the cows, the doubling of the corn, the doubling of the dreams, God was saying this thing is going to happen, and it did. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine arose. And that principle of seven sevens, this is an oath from God. It is a work of the Spirit. And because Joseph had the Spirit of Christ within him, the Bible says the Spirit of Christ testified in them what manner of time it was, what, what they, they diligently sought, what manner the Spirit of Christ, what, what it did signify, what that time did signify. And so that's how he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And we see that in how he saves Egypt. And this is for those of you Pentecostals, you seven, sevening people, you covenantal people. If you ever get hurt by somebody in church, if you ever have somebody do you wrong, <clears throat> if you ever have somebody betray you, lie to you, you would think that in the kingdom of God, we wouldn't do that. We are, we're brothers, we're sisters. You take the wrong, you, 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 you turn the other cheek, you go the, the, the second mile if they ask you to go one, you give them your coat if they ask your cloak. But that's not how it happens all the time. And the Bible says of Jacob that he met Laban. And when he met Laban, Laban changed his wages many times. He lied to him. And I believe that the Spirit of Christ that was working in Jacob testified to him that if he would hold on, when Laban said, work for me seven more years, rather than the original seven years, I believe that was the doubling of the sevens. Here's the point to be taken. Pentecost works even with treacherous people. Even when people are hypocrites, people that are in authority, that, are in authority, that should know better, and they abuse you, and they abuse their authority, abuse their power. Pentecost still works. Jacob still gets his, Rachel. He still gets the 12 tribes. He still gets that fullness of God's promise. God continues to bless him in spite of Laban. I've had a Laban in my life. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be robbed. And Pentecost still works <clears throat> in spite of all of it. The Labans of the world, the Sauls of the world cannot stop Pentecost. The seven sevens shine through, even though it was done in adverse circumstances. And so in my darkest times when people have mistreated me, I have clung to the fact that Pentecost, the seven sevens, the sevening of the, of the covenant that God gives to us, it works in the most adverse circumstances. And so in starting churches, in working in foreign mission fields, in, in teaching home Bible studies, I have made my way through adversity knowing that even in Laban's house, Pentecost still works. Seven sevens, the principle of sevens, that is the answer 
I believe, to Noah's seven clean animals. I hope it helps you. I hope it is edifying to you. I pray God's blessing into your life. Thank you for joining me this day here at Biblos. We are working on merchandise, coffee cups, hats, other things. We hope to bring it to you before too long in this new year. I'm looking forward to the new year. We're praying with you during this time. God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.